All right, well, we're in the book of Acts. We're in the book of Acts, chapter 1. If you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Acts, verse by verse. Started about three weeks ago, and we're going to actually start in verse 15 to get a little context of our text. Our text this morning will be chapter 1, verse 21, through chapter 2, 21. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. We are so blessed in so many ways. And Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of blessing others here locally as around the world. And Father, we just pray that you continue to give us wisdom and discernment as we do that. Father, we pray for your word this morning as we see the church is birthed. We thank you that 2,000 years later, your church is still standing. And there will always be a remnant, always. And so we thank you for that ahead of time, Father. So Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching. And as we go over these verses, that we would learn a principle or two for our own lives personally. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Well, Acts chapter 1, verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120 and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails, his guts, gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, Akel Damah, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and... Let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they purposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who is surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So here we see verses 21 through 26 to get the context of our text. That Peter gives some qualifications for the replacement of Judas. From the baptism of John, John the Baptist, seeing Jesus' work, hearing his teachings, and the most important one, that he needed to be a witness of the resurrection. As you're going to see in our study today, that's what it's all about, the resurrection. This definitely would have narrowed down the selection process. Matter of fact, it narrowed it down to just two. And we see who got it. 
Now, what I don't get, and your guess is as good as mine, why they cast lots. I have no idea. I'm not even going to try to explain it. They most likely threw dice or drew straws, which is not a good idea. But we see it's what they did. And I'm not going to blame them. They didn't have the New Testament writings. They were immature in the faith as believers. The church was just starting. So this is what they did. Maybe they've got it from the Old Testament because we do see occurrences of it in the Old Testament. But what we can learn from this is we shouldn't practice it. We should not practice it. But rather, search the Scriptures and allow the Holy Spirit to lead our lives through walking by faith and not by sight. And maybe you're new to the faith, so God has three answers for you as you pray. God has yes. Who loves yes? Does anybody love yes when he answers you? Yes! Yes, thank you, God. And he has no. Who likes no? Mm, Not so much. And then wait. Who likes wait? Oh, man, wait. Who wants to wait? But what we have learned in our four decades of being with the Lord is that when God says no, it means he has something better in store. Now, I want to make sure you understand, because there's a lot of Christian fiction out there, that doesn't necessarily mean bigger, faster, shinier, brighter, whatever it might be. It means that he has something better for peace of my mind and my heart, to give me the peace that surpasses understanding. And we have seen this played out so many times in our marriage in practical ways. So I do want to encourage you, read from Genesis to Revelation, because some prayers should never even be prayed. God, should I date this unbeliever? That's called missionary dating. The Bible is very clear No. No is the answer. So maybe you didn't know that, so you need to be in the Word of God, so you read then and go, okay, I don't even need to pray this. This is off the table. It's not even an option. Now, if this person comes to know Jesus as their Savior someday and we meet, okay. But right now, it's it's not even an option. Uh, Living together as a marital, as a couple without uh, without being married. We really don't even need to pray about that. That's, That's obvious in the Scriptures. That's a definite no. So why even lift it up in prayer? Committing adultery. No, we don't even need to pray about that. So there's many things, cheating, lying, stealing, backbiting. There's many things we don't even need to pray about. The answer is obvious in the Word of God. But we need to be in the Word of God so that it is obvious. Because unfortunately, guys, there's many in the church that are doing the things that I just listed. And they try to justify it. I've had people in my office in counseling trying to justify their sin. <laughs> I just start laughing. I go, what are you talking about? You see, you're a Christian. You're, you, I, I've seen you at this church. What are you talking about? That's nowhere in the Bible. But somehow, someway, they feel in their case, because they're special. They're special, all right. They're special. It, the Bible doesn't apply to me. No, the Bible does apply. So that's what we want to learn from that. Not casting lot, not going to a Ouija board, not going to the horoscope or any of that nonsense, but just reading from Genesis to Revelation, praying, and that still small voice. Again, maybe you're new to the faith. It's called the Holy Spirit lives within us, dwells within us. And if you listen attentively enough, as you're reading your word, as you're praying, you're going to hear that still small voice say, yes, no, wait. 
And that's what you obey. Even when you don't, wait, no. No, even when you don't understand, wait. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And this wasn't a Honda Accord. This was in unity. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house. So now we know where they are. They're in the upper room, most likely, where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon... Remember the last weeks? Para, epe, here's the upon, upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, it's been 10 days since the Lord's ascension and we see the disciples continuing what they had never done before. So I, I want to encourage you as a believer, maybe you've never attended a prayer meeting or maybe you've never gotten together with someone about a decision and said to them, will you pray with me about this decision? I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to do that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cause accountability and it's going to help you and I to make proper decisions because sometimes we can make decisions because our feelings or our emotions are into it and the word of God is not. So they were doing something. They were praying and actually waiting on the Lord for his promise. Remember what Jesus said? Go. They listened. They obeyed. They were actually doing it this time for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Not for their desires to be fulfilled, but for the Holy Spirit to come upon them to give them wisdom and discernment. And as you look at this, the day of Pentecost, Pentecost is a Greek word which means 50. It was more commonly known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the Harvest. This is one of the three major feasts that every Jewish male was required to attend at Jerusalem. The Feast of Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles were the other two. On the Sunday following the Passover... The Jews would celebrate yet another feast, not a major feast, but another feast. And this feast was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread or First Fruits. Unleavened Bread or First Fruits. And on this particular feast, the priest would wave a bundle of grain before the Lord, thanking him for his provision. Interestingly enough, Jesus rose from the dead on the feast of of first fruits. What is taught in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, it says this, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Think about this, first fruits. And has become the first fruits of those who have died. Fallen asleep is a nice word of saying died. Um, I do want to bring you up to date. A Rochelle that I asked you to pray for, Pastor Mike and his wife Rochelle. Uh, she graduated this past Thursday. She's home with Jesus, praise God, I think at 2.14 in the afternoon. And we saw her several times before she went, and the body just deteriorates and deteriorates. It's just a tent, as the Bible explains. It's just a tent. Fold it up. It's done. But when she took her last breath on this earth, we weren't with her, but her husband was and other family members, When she took her last breath, by the time that breath came out of her lungs, believer, talking to you, believer, 
she took her first breath in heaven. Because Jesus rose from the grave. So if someone mocks you of your Christian faith, which we'll get to in a little bit, ridicules you, makes fun of you, historically we know it's evident hundreds of people saw Jesus after the resurrection. We know that he rose from the grave. So for you and I, this is a living hope, not a Disneyland hope. It's a living hope. I saw an article the other day. It just popped in my mind. Somebody waited in line at a very popular attraction for 10 hours to get on a ride. <laughs> 10 hours to go on one one-minute ride. Hello, wake up. What are we waiting for? I'm waiting to go home to be with Jesus. I, I, I would love today to be the day. He's the first fruits. Then they would number seven Sabbaths from the putting in of the sickle to the corn and then a celebration on the 50th day or the feast of weeks or harvest, which is what we're studying about this morning, Pentecost. And you can reference Deuteronomy 16 if you'd like to, 9 and 11. Deuteronomy 16, 9 and 11. At this feast, the priest would offer two loaves of bread. Let's look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. So again, the feast of first fruits is with unleavened bread. Leaven is symbolic of sin in the Bible. Jesus rose unleavened bread, sinless Messiah. But here we see... At Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, uh, that we would, he would do something differently. He would offer two loaves of bread baked with leaven, again, which is symbolic of sin. And we read in Galatians 3 this, For you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Very important there. Through faith. Who is writing Galatians? Paul is writing Galatians. Who was Paul? If you're new to the faith, Paul was Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Saul believed in his mind, as many people do today, of a scale system. And my life is on the scales. And if I just do enough good things, then the scale will tip to my advantage and I will get to go to heaven. So the good deeds now need to outweigh the bad deeds. So if I just do enough good things, this is religion. This is religion. If I'm just good enough, well, let's keep reading. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, and we could say for the Greek they're Gentile. And remember, there's two groups of people on the face of this earth, only two. You're either a Jew, if you have Jewish blood, you're a Jew. If you don't have Jewish blood, you're a Gentile. So what did the resurrection of Jesus do? Took down all barriers. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free even though there were Jews and Greeks at the time, even though there were slaves in the Roman Empire, it's estimated, some estimates up to 50% of the population were slaves. What else was there in 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 the Roman Empire? There is neither male nor female. 
Do you see a distinction here? No, there's no distinction. Once you ask Jesus to be your Savior, you're in the church. You're in the body of Christ. That's what sets the church apart. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. But what is the enemy of our soul trying to do even to this day? Divide America. Divide people. It's about the Republicans. It's about the Democrats. It's about the Libertarians. It's about the blacks. It's about the whites. It's about the Hispanics. It's about the males. It's about the females. No. It's about the heart. The heart is desperately wicked. And we need a heart transformation. People need a heart transformation to become part of the church. That's what's the key. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I'd also encourage you to look at Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 on your own. I encourage you to read that. You see, the word united the Jew and Gentile through Abraham because Jews and Gentiles alike are sinners in need of a Savior. We'll come back to it later on in this study. Continuing on with these verses, as we studied in previous weeks, we see the coming upon taking place here in verse 3 of our text. Notice that? And one sat upon each of them. Notice in verse 4 that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, they had received some of them, not all of them, because they were all not in the upper room, but on the night of the resurrection, there was at least 11 disciples, the two on the road to Emmaus, don't know if they were part of the 11 or not, so there might have been 13, but there were people who had received Jesus as their Savior on the night of the resurrection. Okay? But now all of these people could have been 120. We don't have a number, but I'm sure it was a large number. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Very, very interesting. We see another occurrence here of the Holy Spirit, which we've been talking about over the last few weeks, or what is commonly called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And again, after the service, if you'd like to come up and have hands laid on you by the elders and be prayed for for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, please come up and do that. What I'd like to look at this morning is this wonderful experience that confirmed what the Lord told them would happen. You see, from this point going forth, the disciples started witnessing about the Lord in a new and powerful way. Didn't happen in the first 50 days. Now it's going to happen, as we're going to see this today and next week, in a powerful, powerful way. They were, they were now going to be empowered. Remember what that means? Empowered, given ability, given strength, by the Holy Spirit. Pastor Chuck taught us many, many decades ago about building a church or starting a church or are you called to be a senior pastor Because when I first was assistant pastor for eight years, and when we came out here in 2003, I went to my senior pastor at the time, and I said, Pastor John, can I come back if it doesn't work out? I don't know if I'm called to be a senior pastor. And guys, it is a calling. You have a calling on your life. I have a calling on my life. We all have a calling if we're willing to submit to that calling. Whether it's in the workplace, in the home, whatever it might be, In the scriptures, we all have a calling. 
And Pastor John just looked at me and said, you're not coming back. Get out of here. But we want to make sure that we're called. Because this is not, church is not a game. Religion is a game. Being a church is not. Lives, lives are at stake. Souls are at stake. That's why we lift up the word of God for proper teaching. So it's very, very important to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because Pastor Chuck would say, if you strive to gain, if you would strive to gain, I'm going to build a church. I'm going to build a church. I'm going to get people to come. I'm going to build a church. If you strive to gain, then you have to strive to maintain. And you will get burned out in the flesh because it's not God's work. So we don't have to strive when we're in God's calling for our lives. Notice as well that the Spirit gave them utterance. They didn't go to school to learn a new language, nor did they repeat a phrase until the unknown tongue came forth. No, they were supernaturally given the ability to speak in a new language by the power of the Holy Spirit. Very, very important. It's a very good possibility that the 120 were gathered. And it's important to notice that each one of them, not just the disciples, not just the apostles, received a tongue. And we're going to see that there was at least 16 different groups mentioned in verses 9 through 11. But there could have been various languages even within those various groups. But there's at least 16. What is also interesting in these verses is that we see those gathered in Jerusalem were hearing about, look over in verse 11, what were they hearing about? The wonderful works of God. The wonderful works of God in their native tongue. You see, this miracle was performed not so that they could have a revival amongst themselves, amongst 120, or so that they could get Holy Spirit goosebumps, or so that they could go home and at night think, wow, what a great meeting we had. Wasn't that wonderful? No, it was for salvation. It was for salvation. To open the eyes of the people to a new demonstration of the Spirit and to give the disciples the opportunity to witness about Jesus which ended up starting, guys, the church. Notice verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men and women, from every nation under heaven. want to focus on this for a few minutes. There were devout men at this feast. You see, these men were trying their best to be honest, hardworking people, seeking after the God of the universe. They were sincere. They had come from various and many nations with one common purpose. What is that common purpose? Remember, the temple, they had to offer sacrifices to cover their sins. So these were devout people. They were sincere. They desired to be acceptable in God's sight. They had a sincere desire to be holy. Is there anybody else that you could think of that I've already mentioned very quickly? guy by the name of Paul? whose original name was Saul? Would you say that he was a devout man? He was a devout man. He was a sincere man. He was so sincere that he actually went out and killed Christians in the name of Judaism, in the name of his God, and got letters to go to other cities to bring them back to Jerusalem to have them tortured, 
and killed if necessary. ISIS in the first century under Saul of Tarsus. There are many sincere people today under religion that are sincerely wrong. Saul was wrong. We'll get to that in a few minutes. He was wrong. But we want to look at their desire here because they had a sincere desire to be holy. Let's look at Romans 10, 1 and 2. Got a slide for you. It gives us a picture of the common Jew at that time. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they... Who is the they there in these verse? The Jews. What do you mean you want them to be saved? They're Jews. They're saved. I'm born in America. What do you mean I'm not a Christian? I'm American. I'm a Christian. What do you mean I'm not saved? I was born into a religious family. I'm saved. Well, I come to Calvary Chapel. My parents come to Calvary Chapel. That must mean I'm saved. No, it does not. You individually need to have a personal relationship with God via Jesus in order to be saved. Your parents can't save you. Your uncles and aunts, a pastor, a priest, no one can save you. You have to make a personal commitment. So Paul is saying, I wish that the Jews would get saved. What's he speaking from? Personal experience. I wasn't saved. I was worshiping God in my flesh. I was sincere and devoted to God in my flesh. But I didn't know God. I truly didn't know Him. For I bear them record that they have a zeal, a passion of God. But not according to knowledge. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Now again, I encourage you to look at a Bible, make sure you're following along, get used to your Bible. Philippians 3, 4 says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. In other words, fleshly circumcision for the Jew did not save them. They thought it did. Just like I was raised in religion, I was baptized as an infant, and in that religion, as I was baptized as an infant, I was saved. According to church doctrine, I was saved as an infant. I had to do something horrendous, murder, rape, adultery, to lose my salvation. If I did those sins, I could literally lose my salvation. It's not scriptural, but that's what the church taught. And this is being taught to billions of people to this very day. It's just a fact. So works, works instead of faith. Paul says, have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I the more. You think you're religious? You think you can get to heaven by your good deeds? Look at me. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law A Pharisee. Guys, this was way up there. And I want you to be able to appreciate this. If you know anything about the Roman Catholic Church, if you don't, you can learn real quick. But in the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope is right above the what? The Cardinals. That's a Pope is picked from the Cardinals. 
So a Pharisee in Judaism at this day and time was like a cardinal today. Total knowledge. They were the cream of the crop of society and of the religion. Paul is saying, I was a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law. What's your Bible say? Blameless. Man, this guy's humble. Blameless. I had it all together. Did you, Saul? Until I met Jesus. Then I realized I was a sinner on the road to hell. And that I needed a savior. Guys, this is Saul. Who had it all together in his own mind. Yet he didn't have it all together. And he found Jesus, which then brought humility into his life as you read his letters. And at the end of his life, he says, he acknowledges, I am the chief of all sinners. Does that mean that he was going out and sinning a bunch so he could get a special award? No, no, no. What he was saying is, I've gotten so close to the light. I've gotten so close to Jesus. I see the wickedness of my heart. I see how much I need a Savior. I see how much I sin every day. And that's what will happen to you and me. The closer we get to the light, it's going to expose the darkness and it's going to keep us on our faces saying, God, I need you. God, I need you. Please, I need you. For I am a sinner in need of salvation. So here we get a glimpse of the typical Jewish person as well as the typical religious Jew that was at the feast, a person with zeal or passion to know God. How can we apply this to our lives today? You know, there needs to be a warning for us as believers. We need to make sure that when we devote our lives to a cause, whatever that cause might be, that it doesn't negate the most important gift of the Spirit, love. You see, Saul was so devoted to the Jewish faith that he missed the very basics of the faith, the love of God. Guys, if you read your Old Testament, I encourage you to do a study on stranger, on stranger. Not stranger, danger, on stranger. If I was a stranger as a Gentile and I came to the Jews and I was seeking after God, this God of yours, I want to know more about this God of yours. I really do want to know more about this God. You as a Jew were to welcome them, love them, teach them, train them, and lead them to that God. But what do we see happening in religion then as well as today? And this is so, this is true. We have some friends. She married a Gentile. She being a Jew. And to this day, after 20 some years, because she was born and raised in a religious family, They just went to Israel a little while ago, a few months ago. He was not allowed to enter some Jewish homes. A brother-in-law who is a religious Jew will not even say hello to him because he is a Gentile. You will not find that in the scriptures. You'll find that in Saul of Tarsus, but you won't find that in the scriptures. Well, how can we apply this to our lives for us today? Coming to Calvary Chapel. You see... In his mind, in Saul's mind, he became superior to others because he was so devoted in his religious practices. This eventually caused him to look down on others as inferior, which led him to judge others with harshness. 
So can that apply to us today? Absolutely. You see, if this takes place in our lives as Christians, then we have missed out on being truly devoted to God's ways. If we look down on the homeless, if we judge the prostitute, if we shun anyone because they don't meet our standards, we're doing what Saul did and what religious people do. Even though we come to Calvary Chapel and we know the Bible, if we know the Bible but we don't know the Bible, then we don't know the Bible. Because the Bible transforms our desperately wicked heart to reach out to anyone and everyone, no matter who they are. That's the gospel, guys, and that's the love of Christ, that you and I would reach out to others. You see, an earthly cause or agenda could cause us to miss out on our heavenly calling. We are ambassadors for Christ. We're not Republicans for Christ or Democrats for Christ or nationality for Christ, or a male for Christ, or a female for Christ, we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Period. And we need to express God's love for humanity. Heavenly love has to be the foundation of all our earthly causes, guys. It has to be, or forget it. It's of no value. Verses 6 through 11, Acts chapter 2 This shows us that the disciples were given the gift of tongues in this situation for a particular reason. It was to draw attention to the fact that the various Jewish brethren gathered were hearing in their own language from these common Hebrews who were mostly from the Galilee area. You see, the people of Galilee were not known for their bringing forth of well-educated people. It was the southern area of Israel, the area of Judea, that was known for the studious or well-educated person. Verse 6, and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya and adjoining to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Please notice that. I actually have that highlighted in my Bible. They didn't hear them speaking the judgment of God, which some Christians like pouring forth. There is going to be judgment, and we need to warn people of judgment, but we need to be sharing with people more so the wonderful works of God. And what is the most important wonderful work of God that if you have as a believer? Salvation. Salvation. Do people know that you're saved? Can people see that you're saved? Would you be found guilty in a court of law if they dragged you before a judge? Would they have enough evidence in your workplace against you to say, yes, yes, this guy is a Christian? Would they have enough evidence in your neighborhood? Would your family members have enough evidence against you to say, yes, she is definitely a Christian. She's guilty. They should. We should be providing that. But it all, again, has to be out of love. 
You see, God looks past any earthly social barriers and performs a miracle that draws attention of thousands of Jews that were in Jerusalem for the feast. Now, for a Galilean to speak one of their languages would not be a miracle. But in these verses, we see each person, each person. Remember, there was at least 16 nations represented here, different different languages, heard their own language being spoken by these common Galileans. Now, that is a miracle. And again, what did they hear, as I already mentioned? The wonderful works of God. Notice as well that the Holy Spirit didn't draw attention to their steadfastness of their prayer meeting or to the disciples being in one accord. He didn't draw attention to them having a great teacher or pastor. Matter of fact, they were looking at a bunch of regular Jews that the crowd considered, as we're going to see, a bunch of drunkards. No, it wasn't the messenger. It was the message. And I want to encourage everyone in this room, every believer in this room, because the enemy loves bringing fear into our lives. When you go to witness or you go to share, well, I don't know, I can't share, I don't know enough scriptures, I don't know the Bible good enough. Well, they're going to ask me a question I don't know. Well, I can't do this, I can't do that, blah, blah, blah. We all have it, I've had it, we all have it. That's the enemy, trying to instill fear into our lives. We've got to get our eyes off of the messenger and get our eyes on the message. Salvation. I once was blind, now I see. I once was lost, now I'm found. And you start sharing your simple testimony on how your salvation. That's what Paul did in his letters. Just his simple explanation of his salvation. Verses 12 and 13, because of this miracle, the crowd was totally captivated and desired to understand the meaning of this miracle. And when you share your testimony, you are going to captivate some people. Not all people. What does it go on to say? So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? So some people, as you share your testimony, are going to say, tell me more about that. Who is this God? Who is this Jesus? Why do you go to church? Why do you read your Bible? There are going to be some people, if we're bold enough to share, that are going to ask those type of questions. Verse 13, though, there are going to be others said, they're full of new wine. So you're going to have people that are going to mock you and ridicule you and shun you. That's okay. Throw it out there. Throw it out there. Throw the seeds out there. See what God does. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Remember, the day was divided into four parts. So this would have been 12 hours. So this would have been the third hour, 6 a.m. would have been 9 a.m. It's only 9 a.m. They're not drunk. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy or teach the word of God. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. 
blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall turn into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now remember what Peter did when the disciples... When he was with the disciples after the ascension of the Lord, when they needed to replace Judas. Remember what Peter did? We just read it. What did he do? He took them to the scriptures. What is Peter doing right now? Taking them to the scriptures. Praise God. Praise God. You see, this would be considered the gift of prophecy or teaching the word of God. Any of you can do this. Any of you could do that. This gift of the Holy Spirit is still available to each and every one of us today. So Peter takes these devout Jews to their very own scriptures and he references Joel. Now let's break down Joel a little bit. Because this first portion of the scriptures, verses 17 and 18, were being fulfilled on Pentecost and we can still see these scriptures being fulfilled today. The second portion of these scriptures are yet to be fulfilled, 19 and 20, during that seven-year period known as the Tribulation. Now, The last part of verse 21 makes a very interesting statement that needs to be thought through. Because who is Peter talking to? Who is Peter talking to? Devout religious Jews. I've been circumcised into the Jewish faith. I'm saved. What does verse 21 say? And it shall come to pass through the prophet Joel, and as well as the lips of Peter, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, the devout Jews who had come to Jerusalem, they were offering sacrifices to be cleansed of their sins. They wanted to be holy and accepted by God. They were following the instructions given to them in the law. You see, God is holy, so only people who are holy can approach God. Are you holy? Are you holy enough as an unbeliever to get to heaven? Do you think you've been good enough? Think of the scales. Do you, have you been good enough to get to heaven? Romans 3.23 says this, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. You see, God's standard is, for you as an unbeliever, you, have, you could never sin once. Once. If you sinned once, you cannot stand in God's presence because God is holy. Not once. So we all fail. We all failed that, myself included. Which is why at 17, I realized I needed a Savior because I was going to hell. So even though the outward man may appear to be seeking after holiness, the inward man is desperately wicked. You see, it's the game of religion that carries with it tremendous consequences when the game is over. There is no reset button on this game, guys. If you're with us today as an unbeliever, let me make this perfectly clear. God loves you. God loves you. You will never ever be able to say, well, I didn't know that God loved me because on June 16, 2019, you just heard God really does love you. He really does. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you. Now what you do with that information is between you and God. You have a free will. But in John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one gets to heaven. No one comes to the Father except through me. So to get to heaven is not scales. It's only by faith 
through a risen Savior, Jesus. Saul learned that. Peter learned that. This is why we have the Bible, so that we can learn that. Most of us in this room have learned that. But if you're here today and you don't have Jesus as your Savior, please learn that. Because you will not be able to blame God from this day forward. Because God loves you. That's a fact. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. If you reject that, it's on you, not God, and not anybody else. Again, for anyone today searching or looking for salvation, it is obtained through faith and by faith alone. You see, Joel prophesied about salvation, and now Peter is going to be the first one in the newly established church to proclaim it. And that's for you and I to go out as ambassadors for Christ, not to proclaim Republican, Democrat, let's argue about politics, not to proclaim ethnic groups, let's argue about ethnic groups, not to go out and proclaim, well, I'm a male, I'm a female, I'm not sure what I am. You're a male, you're a female, get over it. Male or female, don't argue about it. No, no, no. Salvation. 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 Do you know Jesus? There is a heaven. There is a hell. You see, most likely everyone gathered here today understands salvation. But we want to look at it from the perspective of this first sermon to these devoted Jews and remember that there are billions of religious and devoted people who are still trying to become holy so that they might become accepted by the Heavenly Father or who they consider their Heavenly Father. Catholics and Muslims almost make up half the population of our world. Billions of people, guys. They're sincere, and many of them are devoted. Sincerely wrong, but they're sincere. You add in Buddhists, Hindus, over half the world's population, way over half the world's population. Very sincere, very devoted, Very wrong. You have to make a decision yourself today. And we as ambassadors for Christ can go out and influence others to make the right decision. If this is you today, if you're in this place, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, there's only one way to become acceptable to God, and that is by receiving Jesus as your Savior. As we wrap it up, 21, and it shall come to pass... As Peter says to these devout Jews who knew the word of God, who were sacrificing, who were trying to cover their sins, Peter says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, we thank you and praise you that you are not interested in what we can do for you. You're not interested in our sacrifices in our giving of time to go to church, in our giving of time of saying prayers, in our giving of time of trying to serve other people to be to store up good deeds. Father, you're not interested. You're just going to ask each individual, what did you do with my son? With my son who died for you, What did you do with my son, Jesus? Did you accept him? Did you accept his sacrifice? Or did you reject it? Father, we thank you and praise you for the simplicity of the gospel and that you make it so that even a little child can understand. 
And so, fathers, we come to this week of VBS. There's going to be a lot of children hearing the gospel. Father, we pray even right now that you would open their eyes and that they would understand that they have a need for a Savior, that they are stinking little sinners. Father, open their eyes that they might be spared the poor choices that so many of us as adults have made, that they would get on the straight and narrow very early on in their lives. Hmm. You know, as the saints are praying, maybe you're here this morning in this room and you don't have a personal relationship with God via Jesus. And maybe what I've shared hit home. Maybe you finally understand that, yes, I am a sinner. That, yes, I'm not perfect. Yes, I fall short of the glory of God. That there is no way I'm getting into heaven. That's good. That's good that you realize that. Now do something about that. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you would like to pray this prayer, it's not about the prayer, it's about your heart. God sees the heart. If you would like to pray this simple prayer, there's people around you right now that love you and are interceding for your soul. They're interceding for your eternal soul. Submit your life to God. Just pray this simple prayer after me. God, I admit I'm a sinner. I get it. I am. I'm a sinner. Which means I need a Savior. I understand that now. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, to rise again. So God, I I ask Jesus to be my Savior right now. I ask for your Holy Spirit to come into my life right now. I don't really understand what that means. But by faith, I trust you're going to show me. And I say thank you. That as I confess this with my mouth and I believe in my heart that your son rose from the grave, I am saved. Thank you, God, for the free gift of salvation and that I can now call you Father, my Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And as ambassadors for Christ, help us to go out and minister the gospel. Father, we thank you for these earthly fathers who are in our midst this morning. Maybe some of us didn't have 
good earthly dads. Maybe there's bitterness in our heart or resentment or anger or frustration or even hatred. Father, help us to forgive, to have healthy boundaries, but to forgive. As believers, to forgive. And Father, may we who are dads or granddads, may we be encouraged by your Holy Spirit to keep ministering the gospel to our families. Help us through your Holy Spirit to be those fathers, those earthly fathers that you desire us to be. Help us through your word to understand and grow in those attributes of heavenly love, grace, mercy, forgiveness. Thank you, Father for allowing us to be dads this day. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Wednesday night, no service. VBS. Wednesday night, no service. And so uh, if you didn't, if you received Jesus, please come up. We'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to receive Jesus, come up. We'd love to pray with you. For any prayer, baptism of the Holy Spirit, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you guys. Have a great week. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Amen. God bless you.